He was standing there at Port Arthur, looking at the commemorative list of names representing the 35 people massacred by a gunman 23 years ago. At that moment, his phone buzzed. It was a text message that read, Have you heard what just happened in Christchurch? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, welcome back to another week of Signs of the Times Radio. It's great to have you with us. My name is Kent Kingston, as our intro just told you, but just in case you missed it, I thought I'd tell you again. <coughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> the person who's laughing into the microphone is my co-host and my assistant editor, Daniel Kuberek. How are you, Daniel? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Kent? I'm really, really well. Now, we're going to be talking today about a pretty serious topic, and I guess our listeners you know, should be aware of this. We are going to be talking about gun crime and, and violence and mass shootings. So, look, for some of you, that might be a little bit too much emotionally. So, look, if that's the case, that's fine with us. Maybe this episode isn't for you. That That's absolutely fine. But for the rest of us, I guess, you know, you've, you've been warned that we are going to be going to some pretty heavy territory, but I guess, Daniel, it starts with a, a more light sort of story, and that's our recent holiday down in Tasmania, which was, well, it wasn't a holiday, was it? It was, it was a work trip, but we turned it into a holiday. <laughs> it was a work trip, and yeah. Anywhere is a holiday when you have the fun that you make for yourself, really. Love your attitude. So, yeah, so we, we were up in the north of the state, uh, first of all, at Burnie, did some great filming there, checked out the Spirit of Tasmania Ferry. There are signs magazines there, like, you know, 400 of them every month that passengers take, which is fantastic. That's right. And we um, got led on to the Spirit of Tasmania as well. Like, we, um, you pulled in every single last connection that you had and managed to get us on there <laughs> so we can have a look where our signs <laughs> magazines actually are. Well, the, the one single connection I had, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it worked. So, that, that was pretty cool. And uh, so, one once we'd done that, done a bit of filming, we headed down to Hobart, so drove down right through the middle of the island, which was a pretty cool drive, I've got to say. You don't, wouldn't remember much of it because you were asleep for most of the time. But Well, uh, you know, we stopped at one service station and they had like the best tasting protein balls I've ever had. So that was <laughs> that was my highlight of that drive. <laughs> there you go. Go to Tasmania. They have great protein balls. There's, <laughs> there's the... Um, the tourism um, slogan from Daniel Kuberek. But yeah, we were headed for Hobart. But Daniel, you were keen to go to Port Arthur. I'd been to Hobart before, really loved it. I hadn't actually been to Port Arthur, but you were really keen to go there. I was feeling too cheap, didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't want to fork out for it. So um, I sort of hung out in the car park. But you went right into Port Arthur. You're a keen photographer. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, my mum prior to this trip was, you know, sort of telling me, oh, you know, if you have the chance, please go to Port Arthur because she'd been there on a holiday with my dad in 2005 mm -hmm. and had these awesome recollections of the place. Sure. It, it's a very interesting place because it it's so pretty. It's got these waterfront views, but also it's got this sort of sad history behind it because there's all these rundown buildings or whatever where convicts used to, you know, work hard. It was hard labor. Mm. But then there's, there's a whole other thing to it, which is the recent history, which was actually what interested me more when I went down there, which was the shooting that happened in 1996, where mm. it was the Australia's worst ever mass shooting that, those were sort of the reasons that I really wanted to visit it. And to, to be honest, you know, they started us off with a tour guide and we started, you know, walking around the grounds, which are pristinely maintained as far as the lawn goes. And mm. you know, all these So like be beautiful green lawn and sort of stone buildings, like some sort of in ruins and... 
like various states of repair. That's what I've seen from the photos. Is that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, that's right. And they, they even have these boat tours where you can jump on a boat and it's all part of your entry fee. And they take you out in the, into the little the harbour area. And then you go around these little islands that surround Port Arthur. And oh, okay. on those islands, like it's very interesting because they also used to send the convicts there. One of the little islands that's near the Port Arthur settlement is like a sort of a cemetery and they were telling us how many grave sites there were on that little island and it's just a number that's like you just wonder how do they fit that many on there and you can see these old tombstones on there as you your boat circles the little island and everything it's pretty crazy okay so and that's pretty standard for the the tourist trail i guess but if you're in tassie you know a lot of people do want to check out port arthur it's an incredible history there but you you wrote an article for us in this month's science of the times the july edition daniel and you talk about this this moment where you're standing there in front of one of, I guess, you know, the, the monuments or, or the epitaphs that that remembers the Port Arthur mass shooting in 1996, as you mentioned, and something happened. You received a text message right at that moment. Yeah, so just to, to dial back a little bit, I don't personally really remember the Port Arthur shooting because I was born in October 1995. So mm-hmm. this was actually, you know... I was barely a year old when mm-hmm. this happened, mm. but you know the infamy of it and the sort of the effects afterward have always you know every Australian knows the story there because of that. Like when I was when we were on the boat, I'd, I'd already you know seen most of the buildings and and rundown things, but I hadn't seen the old Broad Arrow Cafe yet. So when we were when we were on the boat, I asked one of the attendants, I'm like, can you, can you tell me where it is? And she she told me, you know, once you get off the boat, you just walk and then you turn right. That's what I did after that, and I just spent like quite a bit of time there taking photos. There's a cross there in that mm-hmm. little area. There's this water monument. There's obviously the Broad Arrow Cafe, which is the only the st- stone exterior now, and you can walk inside and, and just stand there and take okay, it so, all in. So, so the Broad Arrow Cafe, Daniel, w- was one of the main sites where, where in 1996, um, what 28th of April 1996, Martin Bryant actually like came in with a gun. He shot a lot of people, but a lot of them were in or around the Broad Arrow Cafe. So that's sort of ground zero in some sense, isn't it? That's right. That's where the the main bulk of the massacre started. Like Martin Bryant had already killed some people beforehand, but that's mm. when he came in there, was calmly, you know, dri- sipping his tea, and then he pulled out his rifle and started firing into everyone at random horrific um, so that was that was essentially where you know a lot of the impact of it started really mm-hmm. so yeah that area is now sort of a memorial site and you know it was really sorrowful to just stand there because mm. like it's just really sad like there's i remember there was a, a bouquet of, of flowers that were just withered on the ground mm-hmm. in front of the the cross that had the names of all the people that were killed there that day. Mm-hmm. And it was just like... 35, just, 35 people. That's right. It just, wow. it summed up for me like this. It's, yeah, so sad. So anyway, so I was standing there and I was taking photos of, of the cross and, and then of the various features around there, the, the signs and whatever. And my mom texts me saying, hey, have you heard what what's happened in Christchurch? And I was like, oh, no... Was it an earthquake? Because, you know, Christchurch is quite known for the massive earthquake that happened there. Yeah, the last few years. Yeah, yeah, they've they've had a a few terrible ones. Yeah, understandable. That would have been my first thought too. Yeah. So, so I had exited the the area, the memorial area, and was having more of a look around um, the Port Arthur site. And I was, my mum was texting me again and she said, siege. 
and like I didn't know what that meant. Like my first thought was Lint Cafe Siege kind of thing because mm-hmm. you know that's the mm-hmm. most recent one in my personal memory. Yeah. And then you know I went back there and was taking more photos and we didn't really know what was going on because I I think I googled it at the time like what was what sort of siege this was and there was as as is you know common with a, a breaking news event is there's not really many details known just mm-hmm. that something mm-hmm. has happened and that's what these news outlets were reporting was that there was a large amount of people dead presumably a large portion of them were islamic people mm-hmm. and not much more was known beyond that if you were sitting in the car at the time and you had no reception so you you didn't really know what was going on at mm-hmm. the time either so both of us were sort of clueless until you know we jumped back in the car we're driving back to hobart and we started coming into an area of reception and i think it was only when we got back to our airbnb that night that we started seeing on facebook the true mm. extent of this and I, I remember we were just both sitting silently you were sitting on your bed i was sitting in my chair and we were just reading reading up about it and you were you were mortified like what was going through your mind when you were reading up about what was happening oh look, it's just a, a nightmare it, i mean you know people express you know, hate towards different groups, you know, towards Muslims. We have definitely heard this a lot in Australia recently. And to think that an Australian would, would go over there and open fire on people who are, you know, at worship, I, it's, it's just horrific. It's a horrific thought. And, and I think the whole world was shocked, really, that that, that could happen. Yet New Zealand's not known for, for gun crime or, or violence generally. I mean, yeah, they have their social problems like everyone else does, but generally they're a very successful, you know, multicultural nation. Uh, w- when you're there, you really sense that, wow, these people really respect the diversity that that is around them, um, you know, particularly their in- Indigenous people and, and other ethnic minorities. And and for this to happen to a religious minority, it was it was just unthinkable. But I think like reading your article, the the thing that sort of hits me is is that you say, you know, at the very moment that you were standing at the location of one of Australia's most horrific massacres, New Zealand was experiencing theirs. It's just a, I mean, you know, not that it's all about you or anything, but it is a sort of a, a bit of a, a shocking coincidence, isn't it? Well, you have a, a personal connection to that place as well, because you were, you were sort of meant to be there around that time. Can you just tell us that sort of story? Yeah. I mean... This, this is really weird, okay, because I got married, uh, my wife and I got married in uh, April 1996 on the 21st. Then we went off for a honeymoon. We had actually originally planned, and I tried, planned the route and everything, we'd planned to go to Tasmania. Um, but since we were like only 21 years old and we'd spent all the money on the wedding, pretty much, there wasn't a whole lot of money left in the kitty, to tell you the truth. So we ended up cancelling the idea of going to Tasmania and having a you know a bit of a drive through country Victoria and along the Great Ocean Road, et cetera, et cetera, instead, which was great. But the very day we drove back into Adelaide, which is where we lived, was Sunday, the 28th of April, 1996. So just, you know, a, a week and, and a day later. And uh, we're listening to the radio and we're hearing about this shooting in, in Port Arthur. And I'm thinking to myself about the route that I was planning um, for Tasmania for our honeymoon and recognizing that our last stop was going to be Hobart and the, the Hobart area. And we very easily 
could have been at Port Arthur that day. So that was, yeah, that was a, a little bit of a shock. And, and I bet there are plenty of other people who, you know, would have stories of, you know, I could have been there too, or I know someone who was there, or I know someone who was going to be there and just missed not being there. It really raises a lot of questions, doesn't it, Daniel, like in terms of the randomness of things? You know, why are some people in the line of fire and other people seem to miraculously mm. not be? I don't know, have you done much thinking about that? The what if question can drive you to some very sad places where you you, you don't understand things. Mm. For me, the, the heinousness of killing someone is something that's incomprehensible, which is what I mm. really wanted to delve into with this article is to understand why someone would do something like that. It's And and did you find that you, you did understand it in the end? Well, I think I understand better. I mean, they're, they're, it's still an incomprehensible thing, but mm. we can you know, sort of delve into to a person's actions and who mm, they are and mm. whatever. So I think what's difficult to understand is how many shootings happen in the US. We live in a fairly safe country, Australia, because of the response that the government had towards the Port Arthur Mar- massacre, where it was mm-hmm. there was a ban of semi-automatic rifles and all these sort of you know hand in your weapons schemes yeah. that were and, all around and, the country. And there were a couple of mass shootings before that, Daniel. I mean, like you say, you were only born a, you know in the year before the Port Arthur shooting. But I remember when I was growing up in Victoria, we had the um, the Hoddle Street massacre, the Todd Street massacre. You know, the, there were mass shootings that did happen, not not on the scale of Port Arthur, but certainly. You know, it was an issue. There, there were things that had happened in, in the lead up to that. You obviously know qu- quite a bit about that, uh, whereas all I've seen is what, you know, I've lived through and there have been shootings and some of them have personally touched me. Like one of my friends in high school, a man with a gun invaded his house and, and killed his, his grandparents and his father and, and shot him in the neck. Mm. And that that really hurt our school community. It was We were deeply impacted by that and mm. just felt so much for the guy. It was just the most horrific thing you can ever imagine, really. Mm. But when I look at Port Arthur and then I look at what happens in the United States now mm. and that the things that we see on a Port Arthur level are you know continually happening in the United States and then there's no real solution for them because of this sort of vehement adherence to the Second Amendment. It seems like almost a little bit of a hopeless case. Like it, you can't understand that like no matter how bad it gets, they just won't do anything about it. I mean, for their credit, there are certain measures that have been taken. For example, mm. after the Las Vegas shooting, the bump stocks were banned, which you know would prevent rifles being used in an automatic sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it sort of turns a semi-automatic into a, into an automatic in some ways, doesn't it? Just because of the vibration and the bouncing back and forth of the weapon. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But you know what, what Australia found and what New Zealand found is that semi-automatic rifles need to be banned because Mm. they deal a lot of damage very fast. Mm -hmm. And that has certainly been the focus of uh, a lot of gun laws. And it was, again, the focus in New Zealand when they introduced, you know, their gun laws just recently. But what something that's interesting, though, is that because of the scale of of these horrific shootings, particularly the Christchurch one more recently, when we had like just last month, we had four people killed and another one injured in Darwin. There was a shoot, a guy went on a shooting spree there, but Mm. it seems that in some ways, if there's like now, if there's not a terrorist angle to the shooting, 
it's just, uh, that's just normal crime or, you know, maybe this is someone who, who has a grudge or maybe this is someone who's, you know, suffering some sort of psychiatric delusion and it's like, uh, it's not really news. It, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of weird, isn't it? The, the unevenness in terms of the way that, that we respond to, to some of these shootings and some of these tragedies. I mean, from the people who have died, I mean, they're just as dead. And from the, their families who are mourning it and trying to make sense of it, it's just as horrific. Yeah, some, something weird in human nature there, I think. There's this statement, when there's a will, there's a way in regards to, to committing something. Mm. As far as gun crime goes, we, we have focused on the way, which is what sort of weapons they use and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And like, okay, for the credit of the, the lawmakers who changed the laws in Australia and now New Zealand mm-hmm. is that they have severely locked down that the the way that people can can do something like this whereas in a country like the united states where there's a second amendment that sort of is blocking that that mm-hmm. way is sort of unrestricted in a sense so so wait a minute, let's just let's just back up a bit so the the second amendment of the u.s constitution says something along the lines of um the that Every citizen has the right to bear arms, you know, to, to have weapons. Basically, I guess, because the America comes out of this revolutionary history where they kicked out the British and established their independence. And therefore, they said, hey, look, everyone needs to have access to weapons in case another tyrant arises in the future. Well, that's right. Yeah. yeah. If the, the most interesting part of the Second Amendment is the first part of the phrase, which mm. is, quote, a well-regarded militia being necessary to the security of, of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the most interesting part of that is the first part, which is a well-regarded militia. And that's been the most hottest topic of debate amongst people, whether or not it is referring to individuals always being able to bear arms or whether it is referring to sort of an army or... Mm, you know, like, uh, like basically community-based groups that train together and perhaps keep their their guns together in a like a community you know sort of locked location so that mm. if something does happen they can go there and um and fight back a, as a community but you're right that's quite a different thing from saying i have the right to keep a shotgun behind the front door and you know in case someone you know comes into my house and you know a burglar or something it's it's quite a different issue isn't it yeah that's right so that's all part of the the way and in Australia, we've found that after Port Arthur and the banning of these weapons, mm. gun crime or you know death by firearm dropped by 67% between 1996 wow. and 2014. Okay. Yeah, and now I was looking at the statistics of how many homicides are committed by firearm. And the latest stats was in 2017, and it was around 13, 14%. And then... In, is, is this in Australia? Or yeah, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And knife attacks are actually far, far higher the largest amount of homicide is committed by a, a non-weapon. So, you know, whether it be someone's hands or whatever. Wow, okay. Yeah, well, so that's, that's interesting. interesting. And, and, and people say, look, people are still killing people. But I guess if you put a semi-automatic weapon in someone's hands versus a knife, the potential damage is just so much higher, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. But all this brings back to the 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 question about what is the will to kill someone. And that's yeah. what I tried to investigate a little bit. And I think I found the answer when I stumbled across this TED talk by a man named Aaron Stark. Mm-hmm. He's this um, large gentleman who stood up in front of a TED talk and confessed that he was planning a school shooting mm. or, a, or a mall shooting. He, he didn't know which one he was going to do. That was in the 90s. And he, mm-hmm. he confessed to it. And 
you know, right, gave but, insight into his state of mind. This is uh, like last year or something, he, this TED Talk came out. Yeah, that's it? right. Yeah. Fairly recently. Okay. So he eventually sort of got around to telling his story and yeah. Okay. So, so Aaron Stark, what, what was his story? So essentially he was telling the audience how he was physically and mentally abused by his drug, drug addicted parents. And he was a man that had nothing left to lose. He had like serious issues that he had to deal with to the point where he had nothing to lose and he mm. wanted to make a statement. So he was talking about how he had bought a gun and that it was, he describes it in the talk actually that it was super easy for him to do. Like it wasn't, mm. it wasn't a difficult thing. It was just simple and methodical in a way. And he was, you know, setting about and he was planning this school shooting. He said this, it wasn't about the people. It was about the largest amount of damage in a short amount of time. It was, you know, it was about making that statement. It's, it's sort of crazy, isn't it? I mean, you see some, I guess, young people perhaps in this sort of disaffected situation and feeling like, you know, no one's taking notice of me. I feel like I'm lost and neglected at the edges of society. So they like graffiti or they break a window or, or something like that, you know, to get some attention, to make a mark on the world, to, to sort of be noticed in some way. And it seems like this is that impulse, but taken in a whole new direction and a, well, a really scary extreme. Yeah, that's right. And for, for Aaron Stark, what he mentions as the turning point for himself is when there was this person who he'd been not very kind to, he'd been, you know, neglecting this person who was showing him kindness. Mm. That person continued to show him kindness. And, you know, right when he was, you know, in that frame of mind where he was going to set out and do this, that person was, you know, there to support him, even though he didn't deserve it. Mm. And the fact that he got this treatment, which he didn't deserve, that was essentially what, what had changed his mind. And wow. at the end of the interview, he, he points out he's now got a family He's got a kid as well. And that person who stopped him from committing that tragedy was in the audience as well. Wow. And that just got me thinking about the concept of grace that the Bible talks about and mm, us mm. as human beings, but also how we should be treating our fellow humans, really. It brought me this lesson that, you know, even when we feel like someone doesn't deserve our kindness that, you know, we should show it anyway, because we don't know what someone's going through. We don't know what sort of mental state they're in, what, what they're thinking, what their thought process is, mm. but we are called by the Bible, by God to show them kindness anyway, in the same way that God shows us grace. Okay. So, well, grace, I mean, it's sort of a, it's a word that people use to say, wow, you know, that woman has lovely posture. She's very graceful, but you know, she moves with grace, but you're not using it in that sense. What, what do you mean when you use the word grace? Grace means that we are sinners and we don't deserve God's love because of our sin and our sinful nature, but we get it anyway. We, we didn't deserve for Jesus to die on the cross for us. And he did it anyway. He did these mm. things because he loves us and love is the real key thing in here. Like, I don't want to use it as a sort of a wishy-washy term, but it, it mm. really is, really is that we need to give love to those who deserve it the least, which is what Aaron Stark actually said at the end of his TED talk. Mm. And that's, it's really reflects on the same way that God loves us. We don't deserve God's love and yet he gives it to us anyway. Mm -hmm. I think it was, um, was it Mohandas Gandhi who said, uh, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Mm. It, it may not have been him, it may, may have been someone else, but I think like that is the way of the world in some way, you know, if do others before they do use, you know, sort of thing, this revenge cycle that can go on and on and on and on. And it seems that grace, what, what you're talking about, 
really breaks that cycle. You know, it's, it's a circuit breaker. Mm. Like instead of tit for tat, tit for tat, you know, backwards and forwards and the cycle continues, it breaks through and says, hey, you don't actually deserve me to treat you kindly at this point because you've treated me abominably, but I'm going to treat you kindly. And it's something that I guess may not be possible without the, the strength of God, uh, without the grace of God that we are then, you know, channeling to other people in order to do that. But it does seem to be an incredibly powerful thing that can that can really like change individuals and I guess in doing so change the world. That's right. It's I think it's one of our really sad, sinful flaws. When we are hurt by someone, we take that out on other people who have nothing to do with the hurt that was inflicted mm, onto us, mm. but we just, you know, we have feel this thunder that we need to take out on someone else. And like, it's really hard when you're on the receiving end of that mm. to then turn that around or like to, to think about it and see through the act and then look at the person and say, this person has been hurt. Uh, he deserves love. He deserves kindness or, mm, but mm. you know, we're not like that. We think in a retaliatory terms where we're like, okay, well, you know, he's clearly just, you know, angry at me. I'm going to be angry back at him. And it just starts this cycle of revenge that you were just talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I think what you're saying is incredibly important and and incredibly true, Daniel. I guess when I think about mass shootings, though, for me, it seems it's probably a little it simplifies things a little too much mm. to to sort of put all mass shootings in that category of, you know, someone who's been mistreated, possibly abused as a child, and then sort of lashes out in, in revenge or, or hurt themselves. I mean, we might have seen that sort of thing, like with the Columbine shooting, for example, you know, the, the trench coat ma- mafia, you know, these were guys who were mm. considered nerds and marginalized by the rest of the school community. Yeah, we do see those sorts of things. And I agree that w- with what you're saying in that sense that, hey, if we extend love towards people, if we uh, show inclusion towards people we can make all the difference but then uh, i look at the the christchurch shooter and to me that's a that's a completely different thing you know this is someone who has this incredible hatred towards a religious minority and is you know prepared just to do horrible things to act out that hatred i i think that's a that's a different level or then we look at the port arthur shooter you know here's someone who who is struggling with a combination of you know borderline intellectual disability and and a mental illness as well. I mean, I, I used to work in probation and parole and, you know, people talk and I have spoken to people who who have been um, like correctional officers at Risden Prison in Tasmania where where he is, is kept. And that's the way they see it. You know, he's a... Not uh, what we would call a, a normal person. You know, he, he has problems, um, and it's horrific what he did. But you, you know what I mean? It's so, it's sort of complex. That's right. It is it is a complex issue. I'm not suggesting that this is the reason why anyone would grab a gun and, and go shooting. Because mm. I think there there are specific cases where where vulnerable people have committed these sort of acts, where in that where they're in that lowest point, as Aaron Stark mentioned. But there are also a, a lot of people. Some of these things, it's you can't explain his motive or his why he did it from a sort of a conscience point of view. Hmm. You know, we were in, in when we were in Tasmania, we actually did stand outside Risdon Prison and, hmm. and and see where where it was that Martin Bryant was actually being held. Hmm. That's why gun laws are so important because you know while there are certain support measures that be put should be put in place for those who have the will, there is also a lot of measures that should be put in place to stop people from 
having the way, which has resulted in a lot of these attacks in the past. Yeah, yeah, sure. Look, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I, I guess I just want to expand it out because I guess in the end, we've got to ask ourselves a question, well, you know, what can I do about it? You know, we already have pretty restrictive gun laws in, in Australia. So I guess we need to keep an eye on that in terms of our political involvement and, you know, being informed. Yes. Um, but maybe there are other practical things we can do. You know, maybe if they, I mean, as you said, you know, you know people who, who have been victims of crime, whose families, you know, have family members ha- have died in these sorts of horrific crimes. We need to be there for those people. We need to show compassion. But we also need to show compassion with those difficult people you mentioned, those marginalised people. Who knows what, you know, that could prevent in, in the future. And I guess also just to look around our communities and to say, hey, what are the issues our communities are struggling with? And what can I do to make those better? What can I do to extend grace? What can I do to, you know, I guess cushion the blow of some of the tough stuff that, that we go through sometimes? Mm, absolutely, 100%. All right. Well, look, that's it for our podcast for this week. Look, if this has raised any issues for you, please uh, get in touch with Lifeline. They're on 131114 and, and talk things through. But yeah, thanks so much. Hope you got something out of it. See you next week. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 